Welcome to North Point Plus, episode 44. I'm your host, Rick Rubel. For the first time. <laughs> For the first time as the host. And I'm not wearing a cool hat like Chris. Oh, well. Yeah. Um, There's always next time. Yeah, that's right. The next the next time I get to be the host. <laughs> I am with Mark the Adkins. Mark uh, the Adkins. Mark the Adkins, uh, who spoke yesterday yeah. at North Point. Uh, the, the, the purpose of our podcast is to really just extend the conversation mm. uh, from Sunday morning so that when we preach, it's not just a monologue where there's lots of stuff thrown out at, at people, but a, an opportunity opportunity for people to ask questions and to have more dialogue and to keep yeah. it going. So how'd yeah. it go yesterday? Yeah, it was great. Yeah, I think um, I love I love doing podcasts like this because after every after every time we speak, there's always a you know a few conversations that we get to have with people. But there's so many people in the room yeah. that you want to have conversations with, and so this podcast is like a way to do that where we get to have those conversations. Where after church, you might we might be able to snag right you know four or five people if we're lucky and and have conversations and, and ask and answer questions and things like that. But I love I love the opportunity to do this because this feels like we get to have the conversation with everybody. Yeah, coming, which is a blast. And and let me um, let me give you, um, if you're watching, a little bit of the backstory to to Mark's message yesterday. In that, um, we plan out as a teaching team. We plan out the preaching schedule. We planned yeah. out our Colossian series that takes us through the end of the summer. And I was supposed to speak two weeks ago on the passage that Mark spoke on last week mm-hmm. on uh, on the tenth. Tim Chanter was going to preach. Mark was going to preach the this message that he preached yesterday on the third. Yeah, I, that's all confusing. <laughs> except to say this, because because of the death that we experienced in our family, Mark was able to preach two weeks in a row. Tim's uh, Tim was uh, just a little bit reluctant to to speak because of his brain injury, yeah. um, and so it all worked out fine. And Mark was able to speak two weeks in a row, which was really cool. Which also gave him extra time to. <laughs> he mentioned it in the message to to kind of rewrite and oh gosh, uh, yeah. rethink that message. So did, tell us about yesterday's talk. Yeah, yeah. So yesterday we went through. So we're we're plugging through our Colossians series where we're going through. Um, we made it all the way through Colossians one. Yep. Now we're in Colossians two, um, and I I know you've had this. So this is what I wanted to be part of our conversation as we dive in is how you can wrestle with the text. Like you can go in headlong knowing like oh man i have this clear vision of what i want to talk about and what i want to land on this is what god's word is saying and you write all that out and then you look at it about a week later and you're like this this is terrible <laughs> there's this is not worth this is not worth going over and a lot of this like we kind of cover in the questions that will that will cover but so much of that that wrestling in message prep is just trying for me, I wrestled with this probably more than any other message I've written, just trying to get me out of it yeah, and just let the Holy Spirit speak. Because the first time I read through it, I wrote my message and I was like, this just sounds like me. <laughs> like this is just a Mark rant <laughs> rather than really diving into what the Holy Spirit is saying. And that's that's why I wanted to share that moment of like the Holy Spirit really spoke to me and said like, Mark, what you're looking at here, what you've kind of laid out is really just you. And you're missing me in the context yeah. of that. Um, like my first message was literally just writing out like this is this false teaching. This is how Jesus disproves this false teaching and this false teaching. And this is how Paul lays it out in like all these arguments, which is not bad. It's not wrong. And we may talk about that. And we'll probably cover some <laughs> yeah. of that. Um, but really, like that's that's part of what that whole message prep process looks like is trying to listen so desperately to the Holy Spirit and have that be the thing that gets conveyed, not just like, it's Mark Rant hour. <laughs> yeah. And and so you know, just again, to kind of look behind the curtain, when we do message prep, um, I think this is true for all of us on the team and, and for everybody who speaks for the most part. Yeah. You do your study, you pray through that process, you start to write, you lay out the outline, you, you work through the passage, you do some more study, you work through the passage, you see what other people have, have written or said about it. And through all of that, for me, there really is this, God, what do you want me to say? Yeah. What, what, what is it? And where you start and where you land is usually yeah they're often uh, <laughs> uh, uh, significantly different and oftentimes painful because it's like right 
Uh, no, it was it was done, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, and yeah. well, that's like, uh, and again, we'll dive into this in the questions. Is like a lot of that stuff that I had written. I don't like. I don't want to portray it like that. It was like heretical. Like it wasn't no. this awful stuff. Like it's well, so it, much good stuff. Yeah, and good stuff to talk about. Right, but it's right. just not what I, what I think the Holy Spirit wanted to be talked about that morning for that group of people right. on that day, for the things that we're all wrestling with in our lives, in culture, and in church. Like, I think the Holy Spirit was very clear. So the, the main takeaway from the message yesterday right. was talking about that, man, when you believe a lie from the enemy, like, how do you get out of that when you've fallen into false teaching? What is Paul's remedy? What's the Holy Spirit's remedy to break you free from false teaching? And Paul, I used the phrase yesterday, Paul just slaps you in the face over and over and over again with it's Christ, it's Christ, it's Christ in you, it's Christ in Christ being filled, Christ in you, it's Christ over here, it's Christ over here, and like that is the focus. That is, it's the only thing that's guaranteed to break you free from false teaching. So, if I'm believing a lie, that means I surround myself with God's truth. I'm in God's word every day. I'm in a life group that can preach yeah. truth over me all the time. I'm vulnerable enough for people to be able to have permission to speak into my life so that when I share things with Rick and I'm going on a crazy Mark rant, Rick has permission to speak into my life and go, hey, Mark, I think that might not be... Whoa, Nelly! <laughs> I think that might not be true. I think yeah. you might be believing a lie. And me, again, being vulnerable enough to accept that and not just write you off because, right. well, you're speaking something that I don't like, so I'm, I'm out of here. I'm not, I'm not going to believe that. Um, and that's what Paul, again, that's why it was cool to kind of have this, these two passages back to back because the week before was talking about unity in the midst of the ugly mess of what life can be in the church where Rick and I can disagree and Chris and I can disagree and Chris can disagree with Rick who disagrees with Jake on all these various issues, but we're unified as a church. And because we're unified, that means you get to speak into my life and point right. me to the truth. And that's like, that's the big takeaway that keeps us safe from believing a lie. I, I loved in the message when you were in that passage, when you were talking about Christ in you, Christ in you, Christ in you, mm. that it just goes back to the end of chapter one, where right. Paul says, Christ in you, the hope of glory, mm. that when Jesus mm. is in us, it puts everything else in perspective. Yeah. 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 And that's that, that's the thing that, again, it's it's not bad to examine false teachings, to look at what teachings are out there, to try to prepare ourselves for what our families and our friends and our kids might go through. But the remedy for that is always going to be Christ. So Paul's main point is you can you can examine the false teaching, absolutely, but it's better to know Christ. Okay, so let, let's dive into some of the questions that yeah. are there. Um, so in um, in the beginning of the passage yesterday, uh, yeah. uh, verse 7, 8, somewhere in there, Six and seven, um, it talks about God being the one who roots, who who builds, yeah, yeah, yeah. who uh, establishes us. How's how does that work? If yeah. God is the one who's doing the work, yeah. and and you you talked about that had great illustration about yeah. about that in the fruit in the garden yeah. or um, vegetables in the garden, yep. they don't grow themselves. The, um, the other elements are yeah. done for them, provided for them. If God's the one who's doing the work, how's that happen? Yeah, I think that's it's. <laughs> It's this weird, almost contradictory phrase that, I don't know, maybe someone someone will love me and correct me at some point, but I, I use the phrase that's it's like actively passive or passively active yeah. in our walk with Christ, that to walk in faith, faith means to trust, to believe so deeply in Christ that I trust him. And so to walk in trust means that I'm not really the one that does anything. So if I trust Jesus, Jesus is the one that saves me. Jesus is the one that works in me. Does that mean I don't do anything? No, it means that by my trusting in Jesus, I trust that what I do through Jesus is to my benefit, to my good, to work those out. So what does it look like for God to work in me, to root me, to, to build me up and to establish me? It looks like this, uh, this daily surrender of breaking off the old and adding in Christ. So for me, that looks like when God speaks, I listen and I follow. That's what that looks like. And that can look different for different people. So God can speak through his word. God might convict me as I read something and say like, oh, that's a part of my life that I haven't yet surrendered fully to God. And so there is that active choice on my part to passively trust in God actively <laughs> Yeah. move away. I don't, it's, it's this, so I don't, I don't have the, the clear definition of God, when God works in your life, it always looks like this, except for God is always speaking. 
Yeah. And my call is to always listen and to follow God in that. Is is this um, is this an accurate illustration? So an athlete, um, when when they start in whatever sport they're in, yeah, they have some skill. Uh, that, that, but but their biggest skill, yeah, is showing up mm. and and investing in the process. Yep. But the coaches are the ones who are saying, "Do this drill, practice this technique. Yep. Here's your here's your plays that you're going to run. Yep. This is how you do it. You go through you go through that process of of running those plays over and over again. Yeah. And so, the the person's um, involvement mm. is by showing up and b- being willing to be coached and taught and yep. trained. But the coaches are really the ones who are doing the work in a sense, right? So right. God's God is would we show up and say God I want I want you to take control I want you to show me what you want me to do in this situation in yep. this uh, relationship in in this uh, thing that I'm going through at work I I need you to do that and then God walks us through that He is the one who is mm. rooting us right. building us up Yeah yeah I like that I think to go with that analogy one of the things that again just gets cut cuz of time and, and and things in the message but the the cool thing if you look at these words is they're they're almost laying out a progression of your life with Christ nice so you start and you are rooted so by placing my faith in Christ by Christ saving me and bringing me into the fold i am rooted through Christ so that is i mean if we're diving into the theology that's the justification i am justified in Christ. I'm firmly rooted in that. And then I am being built up. That's the the sanctification part where you're progressively being made to look more like Christ. And then finally, you are established in your faith. So you kind of have this progression of what it looks like where God is always doing those things in your life. And you also have the progression of those things happening in your life. Um, where I think the, the athlete analogy to, to bring it to that is you're on the team. You're rooted. The coach brings you and places you on the team. You have your position on the football team, the track team, whatever it might be. And then you're being built up on the team. There's the things you have to practice. There's the, the all the drills that you have to run and all of that. And then you're established is you're playing the game, you win the tournament, whatever. I don't know. I'm not a sports person. Yeah. Whatever happens in sports. <laughs> um, but I think looking at it through that progression that God is with you every step of the way in that, and your active involvement is is a is a symptom, is an outcome. That's why it's cool that Paul puts it all together, that you're rooted, you're built up, you're established. And then the symptom of that is that you walk by faith by being abundant in thanksgiving. Right. So I look at what God is doing in my life. And of course, I would be so thankful. Like it's it's an obvious symptom of, of what's happening in my life that I'm going to look at Jesus bringing me into the fold and be so thankful for that. And then he doesn't just leave me there. He trains me up. He builds me up. And I'm thankful for that. And then I have the hope, the hope of glory of being established in the faith. And I'm thankful for that too. It just like, it's an obvious indicator for us to look at and be like, why am I not more thankful <laughs> of what yeah. God is doing for me? You're, um, you're a much better host at this than I am because I want to just start preaching. Um, <laughs> Preach away. <laughs> well, no, I was, I was just going to say, as you're talking through that, the illustration then that just became even clearer is when a seed is planted mm. and the roots start to go down yeah. and the and the and the sprout comes up and it begins to be built up and then you put the mulch on and the fertilizer yeah. all that stuff and it becomes established in that place yeah the roots continue to go down right. it continues to be built up it yeah. continues to be established uh, all the time until it's actually a mature mm. tree that then grows fruit right that yeah. that that just yep. happens naturally because of the roots and the and the building up of the tree so yeah, yeah. okay yeah it's good we'll keep going um, <laughs> um, what what are some of the you you talked about yep. um, where the where the message was originally and <laughs> in, in terms of you were going to talk about yeah. the philosophy empty deceit all, all those things that are that Paul was addressing kind of vaguely yeah. and saying, stay rooted in Christ. What are some of the things like that that are going on in our culture that that yeah. might qualify yeah. if Paul were writing to us right now? Yeah, so it's interesting. So originally, the my original structure for the message went through verse by verse, and Paul, I think, does this, but it's not his main focus. I think Paul ends up disproving false teaching verse by verse, showing how Christ is better. 
So Christ is the full presence of God. And there's a false teaching that it's, well, to get that, you kind of have to, it's that Gnostic look at, yeah. well, to, to access the full presence of God is really to unlock this secret knowledge. And Paul says, no, Jesus is the full presence and that presence is dwelling in his people currently period. There's no extra stuff you have to do. And then it was, well, uh, well, maybe there's extra stuff that we have to do on our end. And Paul says, no, you're spiritually circumcised. There's nothing else that you have to do in order to be saved. And so Paul kind of goes through verse by verse and kind of attacks these false teachings. And a lot of those are really just reskinned for us today. So uh, there, you know, there's the saying that there's nothing new under the sun. Um, And that's kind of true when it comes to false teaching is you kind of get these reskinned versions of that. So I think for us in culture today, um, first recognizing that a false teaching is designed to either keep you separate from Christ or make you think that you're separate from Christ. And so when you start looking at it through that lens, it's like, oh my gosh, there's, there's false teaching everywhere. Right. It's like the majority of teaching nowadays. Um, and so I think for us in our culture, in our, in our modern day, I think the two biggest ones that jumped out to me was identity placing your identity in something that's not Christ. And so we do that with so many things. I mean, for the the stereotypical thing is you identify with your work. I am an I am a pastor. I am an electrician. I am a nurse. I, right. And it's like that's not your identity. That's not who you are. That's a thing that you do. Um, and even that is a subtle false teaching that pulls you away from yeah. your identity in Christ. The more I identify as a pastor, the less I identify with Christ, the more I identify as a nurse right. or a police officer or whatever. Um, so I think that's a huge one in our culture, and that goes beyond um, your employment. That goes to I am a father, I am a husband, I am, especially in our culture, we identify with sexuality. I am this. And the more you say that, the and the less right. culture wants you to see that you are identified with Christ. That is your primary identity when you are in Christ. Uh, and then the second one that I think is just the devaluing of human life. I think mm-hmm. it's a huge false false teaching in our world to to look at another human being and see them as less valuable for whatever reason it could be. Right. Uh, I think a common example that comes up all across media nowadays is skin color. Right, uh, and that that's true not even just in America but across the world that you're less valuable because of your ethnicity you're less valuable because of what and that's been true for for all throughout history um, it's just education this, yeah, yeah, um, yeah or or where you live in the world yep somebody who lives in the third world is not as valuable as somebody who lives in the um, yep. in the in the more advanced yeah how we first talk world about countries refugees yeah. like we just the way we talk and treat one another just in day-to-day life it's just this looking at another person that bears the image of god yeah and a false teaching that comes from that is to say they're not as valuable as you so treat them less yeah um you know it's funny when you were talking about gnosticism mm. it's uh, when i think back over the last couple of years we've talked about it a number of times yeah. because it was one of the things that was going on in the first century um, that that Paul wrote about to combat, and and it's easy for us to look back and say, oh yeah, that secret knowledge stuff. That's <laughs> those stupid people. Right. It's it's How just so clear. Um, and yet, I would say that the spirit of Gnosticism mm. exists in pastors and preachers um, a lot because yeah. there's this desire. I heard a guy. Talk about sermon preparation and talk and said, "You're." He he was challenging preachers and he said, "You're looking to find that nugget that no one else has found before mm. in in scripture that you can communicate to your people." Yeah. Guess what? People have been following Jesus for two thousand years. <laughs> that there's not a secret bullet that's there. Right. There's not this special knowledge that's there. But we want that because it we think that that elevates our position, right. that we're closer to God, that, oh, everybody will right. think better of us, whatever. And and it really does get back to, it's all about Jesus. Right. Yeah. And that, I think, goes to how we wrestle with sermon prep is the the temptation. Some uh, I was following a pastor this past week that put it really well. He said, the temptation when you do message prep, it's to plug in everything that you're learning yeah. as you study because you study this passage yeah. for hours and hours and you read commentaries and books and all this stuff and you just like you're just taking furious yeah. notes on everything and the temptation is to go through verse by verse and be like look at this thing and this thing yeah. and this greek word and this greek context and that's not those are not bad things yeah but again it comes back to like am i feeding into this idea that like oh 
I'm better because look at all this knowledge I've uncovered. Secret knowledge <laughs> look at I this found, knowledge yeah. that I found. And it's yeah. like it's not about again, the knowledge is not bad, but it's it's our it comes back to what we were just talking earlier about submission to the coach. Yeah. And my coach says, Hey, this is the thing I want you to focus on. Right. And I have the choice to say, No, I want to go over here. <laughs> but really, like I, if I'm trusting my coach who's been in the yep. race a lot longer than I have, am I willing to submit to my coach's guidance and be built up in that direction rather than trying to build myself up over here? Yeah. Because um, God knows what's, what we need far better than we do. Yes, and hopefully yeah. we're sensitive enough to the Spirit to submit to that. Okay, I, I have this question from Jake, um, Jake <laughs> Carter that says, um, Mark, you said, Jesus removes your barrier to entry and severs your connection to sin. Is that what circumcision, what circumcision did in the Old Testament? If so, can you explain how circumcision removes barriers to entry and severs connections? What barrier does circumcision remove? Please be as elaborate as possible, and any charts or pictures that you can share would be <laughs> helpful as well. <laughs> well, I didn't uh, prepare any charts or pictures. Thank you. So Thank everyone you. Everyone can rest easy. You don't have to... Hide the, pod, hide the podcast as you watch it at work or anything like that. That's we're not right. going to dive into uh, graphic illustrations. Um, the, this is an interesting question um, because it, it, it goes back to the uh, Old Testament setup of why did God set up circumcision to begin with? Why is God asking the Israelite people and people that follow him to go through this process of literally cutting off flesh. Like, what does that even do? And flesh I, that no one sees. Right, yeah. It's not yeah. like any, like you could go around and be like, yeah, I'm circumcised. <laughs> no one's going to know. Like, yeah, yeah, there's no. <laughs> so why would God go through this process of, of adding in this step almost to prove that you're a follower? Like, that doesn't really seem to follow. Uh, and so I think the... The barrier to entry that I'm that I emphasize in the message, I think God creates a visual that we move into a barrier of entry, or a barrier to entry. So God creates this visual. So why? And the Old Testament is full of this that God create that God puts into place these ceremonial laws that are meant to be guiding visuals or reminders for the people of Israel. So like one of the one of the weird ones that people always talk about is you can't have fabric that mixes and meshes together they have to be cleanly separate you can't mix fabrics together why would get like why what does that have to do with anything um and there could be some general benefit that maybe the people of israel didn't know when it comes to mixing mixing fabrics but generally god's showing that there's separateness like you as my people are meant to look separate from the rest right. of the world because you follow me so people should look at israel and look at babylon and go, oh, there's clearly differences here. And that goes into um, God himself, that God is separate from everything, that God is so holy and pure that there's a separateness there. Now, that's not really a barrier to entry in Israel. It's meant to be this picture. And I think circumcision does that as well, where you get this clean picture of a severing of flesh, that there's something about me following God that cuts me away from my old self, yeah. And brings me into the presence of God. And what God designed as a picture, the people of Israel then created as a barrier of entry. That, oh, if you're not circumcised, you're lesser. Right. And that's not what God's saying, but we just corrupt it into meaning that, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think it's so easy for us to look at both the New Testament and the Old Testament and to get hung up on the specifics mm -hmm. so much that we miss the big picture. Right. So, so when I think, okay, what's the deal with circumcision? With the cutting off the flesh on the eighth day and all that stuff related with that, I, th I think it was just to be a reminder. Right. A reminder that you are God's people, yep. that, that you're different. And, and so it wasn't, it wasn't like a good luck charm. It wasn't, uh, right. you know, it, it, there was... It was just a reminder, and and I think that Paul says, you know what? There's this reminder that you are not bound by the carnal nature that you have in Jesus. And when when Jesus comes in, you don't have that that it doesn't have that same control because you've experienced that that spiritual circumcision that right. says. You're, you don't live that way anymore. Right. Yeah, and I think if you, if you look at Jesus' life, this is an issue that he corrects 
ferociously yeah. in the temple because in the temple they had create they had taken this visual and made it a clear barrier right where they even abused the barrier and this is where Jesus comes in and makes a whip and flips tables and does all this stuff because they were they had taken that outer gentile court so if you watch the message yeah. I showed the picture of the temple there's this outer court that's on temple property but it's not technically in the temple but that's where the gentiles would go to pray or if you're uncircumcised you would go there to pray and they just kind of turned that into a place like a marketplace right. so how can you pray in this busy marketplace where there's animals bleeding and doing doing all these things and so Jesus corrects that and says that, hey, this thing that you've kind of turned into the structure of tiered levels of presence of God does not exist. It's always meant to be, if you're circumcised, you're in my presence. And now if you're in Christ, you're spiritually circumcised, you're brought into my presence, Right. period. Um, another question for you. Yeah. Um, the, you talked about the legal demands of debt that we owe. Yeah. What, what are the legal demands of debt that we owe that Jesus nailed to the cross? Yeah, so the it's really interesting that Paul phrases it this way, that you are forgiven of your trespasses and the legal demands of your debt are, are set aside in that they're nailed to the cross. And so when we look at that language of our trespasses and the debt that we have, you get this clear, like for me, it points to Romans, yeah. the wages of sin is death. Yeah. So again, Paul's, Paul's writing yeah. Paul's writing both letters. So if you read through Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, Paul lays out a very clear case that everybody here has sinned. If you're a person on earth, you've sinned. Like yep. sin, sin corrupts everything. And so because we sin, that demands some payback some judgment, some cost, response. Of, some yeah. response to it. Because um, we're not just sinning. Like if I sin against Rick, it's not just you that I've sinned against. I've sinned against God because I've devalued your life. I've devalued the image of God. I've taken God's law and broken it because I said my law is better. So I chose to go against God's law. And that demands some justice for that. Um, and so there's a legal demand that's associated with that that we can't pay back. <laughs> like right. I use the analogy of me trying to pay back my brother $1,000 versus $12. It's not possible. I can't do it. Yeah. And so when I take even a tiny sin that I have against an infinitely holy God, that's because God is infinitely valuable. And so I've, I've taken God's law that's infinitely valuable and said, no, it's not. Yeah. And there's some wage or payment or debt that's associated with that that has this legal contract Um that we can't possibly pay back. And that's the cool thing about that passage is God says, hey, that, that thing that's impossible for you to even fathom paying back, Jesus took care of it right. on the cross. It's all taken yeah. care of. Yeah, and I, and I think, it, again, in Romans, it's, it's very clear that that legal um, debt that we have, yeah. that we all owe, is death. It's separation right. from God. Right. Um, we, can't, we can't earn it. We can't make our way back to God on our own. Only Jesus could take that debt and destroy it with the cross. Yeah, and I think it's it's interesting that Paul connects this to this aspect of shaming the demonic powers of stripping yeah. them of their power because it's it's like yeah. it's like this record of debt is almost this I don't know I'm a visual person so it's almost like there's this heavenly record place that keeps a record of everyone's sinfulness and God goes through that record of everyone that has sinned against him, of everyone that's committed treason against the kingdom of heaven and he removes the record. There's yeah. no more record of heaven or of Rick in heaven of your sinfulness. Yeah. There's no more record in heaven of Mark's sinfulness because Jesus paid the debt. There's no need to keep a record of yep. it anymore. It's, I don't know, it's just cool to think of it that way and God doing that Satan looks at it and is like, crap. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so embarrassed. Yeah. I'm so ashamed. <laughs> John talks about in Revelation is the Lamb's book of life. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. yeah it's it's cool awesome. Stuff. Um, uh, another, another question that came in. Why doesn't God eliminate the desire mm. to sin when we choose to follow Jesus? If, if the debt's been paid, yeah. when we accept that payment for our debt, yeah. why doesn't God just magically take away the yeah. desire for sin. Yeah, this is going to sound like a cop-out answer, but it's because he loves you. And that's so it's, it's so I want to That's unpack a cop-out. That. <laughs> I want to I unpack that. So if God's, if God's desire for us is that we look like him, if God just snaps his fingers and takes care of that process completely. So Rick is saved the next morning you wake up, you never sin again in a day in your life. Does Rick learn the full holiness of God through that process? Do you learn the full justice of God? Do you learn the mercy of God in that process? Do you learn to depend and rely on God if you just wake up the next morning and you're 
perfectly holy. I don't think we do. I think God probably could snap his fingers and make you holy because that's certainly that's within yeah. God's capability. Um, but I think there's something about this process. Again, if we go back to verse six or seven of being rooted and built up, there's something about that building up yeah. process that takes that God chooses to take time with to say, okay, Mark, here are the things in your life that are part of your character that I'm going to chisel away and yeah. replace with myself. And God could do that quickly, or God could be merciful to me <laughs> and make that a more bearable process for me to slowly chisel away. And again, I think it goes back to my reliance on God. Like I am reminded every day of my sinfulness and that I am not capable of being like God on my own. And that pushes me to rely on God in a deeper way, to remind myself that God is fully holy and I must rely on him to be built up in him because I've tried to do it on my own and it doesn't work. Right. We, 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 we just can't do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so, again, just kind of working through the passage, yeah. we got a question from the Carelands Life Group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. said, how, how does baptism, you talked about baptism draws us close to Jesus and um, helps us avoid false teaching. How does baptism help us avoid false teaching? Yeah, this is an interesting one, and this is one where, again, like, as I'm, as I'm wrestling through this passage, it's like, okay, like, why is Paul talking about baptism here? Like, I get, I get the, the analogy in their connection to circumcision, that there's this cutting away of the old stead, the new is raised up. But why does Paul talk about this in the context of don't be taken captive of false teaching and things like that? Um, and I think this goes back to, which is why I'm glad you're here, because I think this goes back to what we talk about with baptism all the time, is yeah. that um, we talk about the pledge of a clear conscience. Yeah, and First so Peter I, 3. I think there's this clear... When you have your baptism, like it becomes, we, we try to make a moment of it because it is an important moment. It's not just right. this ho-hum thing. It's like, oh, well, Rick tripped into the water. Uh, you're baptized. Like it's yeah. this important step in our lives. And I think if we, if we look, like I can look back on my baptism and the way that helps me avoid falling into the lie of Satan that says you're separate from God is I can go to my baptism and say, no, I'm not. Right. I have this clear flag in my life, this yep. lighthouse, as it were, in my life that warns me of saying like, hey, Satan's going to say that you're not part of God's family. That's not true. You've been baptized. Right. You have this clear indicator in your life where you have witnesses in your life that can say, Mark, no, you've been baptized. Like, we've talked with you. We've, we've worked through this. Like, we know you are in Christ, even though Satan says, well, you sinned again. It seems like you're pulling away from Christ. And I can look at my baptism and other people can look at my baptism and point me to that and say, no, you're not. Like, right. You're you're in Christ. There might be things you need to work through, but that yep. doesn't question your in Christness. Yeah. Good. 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 Good stuff there. Yeah. Um, a question from the Ermitlu Life Group: um, In what sense do you mean in Christ, sin is powerless over you? Hmm. How do we square this in light of Romans seven? Uh, that scripture seems to imply that we're still in the midst of a war within us that Paul talks about. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad you asked this question, Ermit Lou Life Group. Yay, Ermit Lou! Again, it's one of those things where it's like Ermit Louisians, <laughs> the Ermit Lights. <laughs> yeah, Ermit Lights. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I knew this was going to be a question, so I'm glad you asked it. And this is something that I wanted to dive into, but again, just because of time and, and direction of the message, because um, I think when you talk about the con- the the concept of sin being powerless over you. The logical question is, well, I still sin every day. <laughs> like, it seems like it has it an awful lot of It seems like power. there's a lot of power over, of, of sin in my life. And that's where, again, it's, I'm glad you went to Romans 7. I'm going to take us back to Romans 6 yep. and lead us into Romans 7 because that's how Paul builds his argument. Again, yeah. you look through Romans, there's this logical progression of how Paul builds the argument. And so in Romans 6, Paul builds the case of you are dead to sin. You are no longer a servant of sin. We were once slaves to sin. Now we're set free from sin. Paul uses right. this language over and over again. So how do we reconcile that I'm totally free from sin? I'm not a slave to sin. And then we get to Romans 7 where Paul talks about, you know, it's the, it's the good that I want to do but I don't do and the thing that I don't want to do I end up doing. Like Paul has this weird kind of like schizophrenic moment of, yeah. of, of freak out. And but, ends that, but with, but his picture is what we all experience, right? It's, you have it's this the essence inner of this question, right? It's this inner turmoil, turmoil that we have, um, and so the kind, of, the way that I like to think about this is my relationship to sin before Christ was mutually beneficial. Sin liked me, and I liked sin, 
And so we, I, I just sinned. Like I'm not in Jesus. Who cares if I sin? Like I just do whatever I want, whenever I want. That like that is my relationship to sin. And so the language that the Bible uses is that you're a slave to sin. Sin is your master. And so uh, Paul talks about in Ephesians that when we are dead to sin, that you're the language that Paul uses that we translate is that you willingly follow the prince of the power of the air, which means I willingly follow along with Satan's plan. Like Satan plans something, I'm like, yeah, that's great. So we we like to picture ourselves as like, oh, I don't like I don't want to do that. And it's like, no, before Jesus, the picture of us is that you're dead in your sin. Yeah. Sin is your master. And so now that I'm in Christ, I'm not dead in my sins. I'm dead to my sins. Right. And I'm alive in Christ. And so what does that mean in terms of my relationship and how this all works? And again, if I'm just using biblical language, I'm not a slave to sin anymore. I'm a slave to Christ. So sin does not dominate over me. I think that's the language Paul uses in Romans 6 is sin will have no dominion over you if you are in Christ. So what does all that mean in this context of sin is powerless over you? Well, it means that sin is powerless over you. So sin, if sin has power in your life, it's not because sin has power over you. It's because you choose to give it power. And so it's not that you invite it back in. Right. So again, because I'm a visual person, the, the visual I always use is Jesus breaks the chains off my wrists. And I pick them back up and wrap them around. They're like, oh, I'm enslaved. It's like, well, no, you're not. <laughs> Jesus broke the chains off, and then you just picked them back up. So just yeah. put them down. And I realize that's very easy to say. It's very easy to say when you're struggling with a sin that's been habitual for your whole life to just say, like, well, just stop. Because obviously right. that's not that simple of an answer. But part of that is leaning into the truth of what God says. That when God says, hey, you're not a slave to sin. You're a slave to me, which means that you right. desire me. That is the truth of someone that follows Jesus. We don't always walk that out. We don't always believe that perfectly. But that's what God's word says. And then also in the midst of that, you have this weird inner turmoil where I choose to go back to sin because I still have that building up process that needs to take place where God is chiseling away at things. So I don't know if that makes sense. I don't yeah. know if that yeah. conceptually works. Yeah, I, 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 <laughs> I actually... I was thinking about sharing something that I just experienced this past week, but I think I may save it for a future message that's related to it. Just about the um, so much of the sin that we willingly choose, we say, I I like that. I want it. Mm. Um, And I think that I can find fulfillment in that. Mm. And, and when the Holy Spirit checks us and says, do you realize that is not going to be fulfilling? Yeah. Then how do we respond? Yeah. Um, sin, doesn't, sin doesn't take control of us mm. in the way that it, it used could be. yeah. before Christ. Right. Um, once we become a follower of Jesus, we have the ability to say, no, 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 no. Right. There, are the, there is that marker of baptism. There is... The, the choice that we make, the rational mm. choice that we make to say, Jesus, I give you complete control. Yeah. And, um, and you go from there. Yeah. And there's, a, there's an interesting phrase that I, I, I think the Ermitly Life Group brings up that's in Romans 7, where Paul says, it's, towards the end of that passage, Paul says, it's no longer I who sin, but it's sin in me. And so it can almost seem like Paul is absolving himself of the blame. Like, it's not me. It's the sin in me that's to blame. And I don't think that's what he's saying. I think what Paul is saying, again, goes back to this false teaching of identity. Where is Paul's identity? Is it in his sin or is it in Christ? And so Paul is saying, that's like when I sin, that's not really my identity. My identity is in Christ. It's the sin in me that's still working through me. That's the problem. It's not my identity. And so you kind of get this clarity that Paul brings to the argument that he's not absolving himself of blame and saying, well, I'm in Christ. It's not really my fault because it's the sin in yeah. me. It's Again, it's clarifying that identity that you are in Christ. That's your identity. And you still have sin that you have to work through. And Christ is in that as well, working through that with you. And and it, I think it's helpful to just point out Satan is actively whispering in our ear, mm. Oh no, that is your identity. Right. That is your identity. You're choosing it yeah, because you love it. Yeah, yeah. It's your identity. Um yeah. and and that's that's uh, Satan's a liar. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um another question um related to this, we're in Christ even when we mess up in sin. Hmm. When are we no longer in Christ? 
when we've stepped out of his will for our lives and turned our backs on him? Yeah. <laughs> um, this is a great question because it, it deals with the lie of the enemy of yeah. how, f- how, how, how much sin did Jesus forgive? Did you forgive all your sin or just part of your sin? Do you forgive? He forgave all your past sins, but maybe you have to keep working for all your future sins. Yeah. And so I go back to, again, I go, I, I like, I love the Old Testament because you get these great visuals and pictures that, that translate to teachings in the New Testament. So I go back to the Old Testament and, and ask, did the Israelites ever stop being God's people? Right. In the midst of their sin, in the midst of their rebellion, in the midst of their exile to Babylon, did God ever say, now you're not my children? I, I, not that I'm aware of in the yeah. Old Testament. You have this clear picture where these are God's people. Even when he allowed them to be captured, right. taken into exile. Right. Yeah. You have these, yeah, this clear example over and over again. Over and again. And it's, again, it's easy to look back at the Israelites and be like, they're so stupid. <laughs> like, just, just follow him. You have 10 commandments and you've got a few other laws, but like, just follow him. And we, then we look at our own lives and we're like, oh, that is actually really hard. <laughs> but again, yeah. if, I look at the, if I look at how God chose the Israelites to be this picture of what his church and his people look like, when did they stop? When did they, quote unquote, leave Christ? Did they, yeah. did they fall out of Christ in the midst of their horrible sin and rebellion and falling away and associating with the enemy and believing lies? I don't think we see that picture. And so I think when we go to the New Testament to be outside of Christ is to deny Christ. That's that's the clear example right. that Jesus gives us over and over again that Paul and the other apostles talk about in the letters that they write that when you're outside of Christ that means you're denying him. Yeah. So is my sin a denial of Christ? I you could maybe make that argument in some way that when I choose sin I'm not choosing Christ. But again, I don't think you see this picture of every time you sin, you leave the presence of God right. and you have to work your way back into it because that's what, that's what Jesus takes care of on the cross, in his presence, in the temple, his temple, you are the temple, and in your circumcision. is There, there are no more barriers here. You're just yeah. in Christ. Some, sometimes I think when we go to uh, like examples of like the nation of Israel, like yeah. you were just talking about, that makes sense for us rationally and historically, right? but it doesn't. Uh, that's like we look back and read about it. It's a little bit distant for us. Yep. I, I think the illustration that I often use is um, when, when you are married, mm. when, when you say, I do, yep. and you say that because you're deeply in love with, with, the, with your spouse, um, that lasts for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, for some people, shorter than others, but um, <laughs> that lasts a long time. But over, the period, over a period of time, there are times that you think, I'm not really sure I like this person. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, mm-hmm. they're squeezing the toothpaste out the wrong way or, right. um, or they're acting ways that I would never act or whatever. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make you stop being married. Right. Um, and, and you can, you can um, a marriage can not have a whole lot of life for a long period of time. Right. But you, but you're still married. Right. You're still married, um, and God can then bring breathe new life into that yeah. marriage. Uh, you can rekindle that romance. You can rekindle those feelings. Yeah. All of that. Um, the the um, it takes a very clear step to mm. say I'm no longer married mm. and and to walk away. Yeah. Um, and 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 the denial of that marriage, if you will, mm. um, that's that is permanent. And persistent, right? And and um, but up to that point, you're still married, right? I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's it's important to if we're keeping it in the context of marriage and our relationship with God, who who wants to be married more? <laughs> nice. Who wants to be in Good relationship yeah. with you more? Does God like? Does God again? If I'm using the example of my own life that I, that I shared a little bit yesterday, like you, st- I get the feeling that God's like, you keep sinning. I'm like, I don't even want you here. But that's not true. Right. Okay. When we look at God's word, when we look at the relationship that he desires with his people, he says, I want you to be in relationship with me. Right. And he never retracts on that. He like his desire is for you to be in relationship with him. So we are in Christ even when we mess up in sin. When are we no longer in Christ? It's not Christ's desire that you would be out of relationship with him. So it's not a decision that he's going to make and say, well, I forgave 50 sins, but you did 51. Yeah. And you, you know, there's only a certain amount per month, so now you're out until you can work your way back in. Like that's not the yeah. relationship 
boundary that he set up. He said, when you're in Christ, my desire is that you would be here with me. Like, that's why I did all of this. So, so last question. Um, You, you just kind of referred to how seeing the love of God in your life Mm. really changed you. And I, I, um, I'd just love to hear you tell more about that. Yeah. It's, um, God's so cool. (laughs) Um, it's amazing. And And I shared this yesterday, how I, I began my relationship with Jesus at some point in high school. I can't remember what specific year. Um, but at some point in high school, I like officially <laughs> put my faith in Christ and um, began to walk with him. And you just have this expectation that everything's going to be better. Everything's going to be fixed. I did right. the right thing. Like the good things should start rolling by. And they just kind of didn't. Um, and so the the two biggest examples for me is I remember very early on in my relationship with God praying like, God, would you please give me a tangible example of what your love for me looks like? And then I met Julie, um, and Julie's my wife. Um, so I wow. met Julie in high school, and through my relationship with her, that has been a constant, clear reminder of like, oh, when I need to see God's love in my life, I just look at Julie, because Julie loves people way better than I do. And everyone watching is like, duh, we know that. <laughs> That's not a surprise. <laughs> um, so having that in my life was always a clear guidepost for me of loving if I want to see what Jesus' love for me looks like, it all, it almost always looks like how Julie loves me, um, and that's been great. But then I still, even in my relationship with Julie, still wrestled with sin, um, and it wasn't until I had a group of men around me that I could be vulnerable with and share sin and have them share sin with me and experience mercy in that group. Um, this, uh, another lie from the enemy that just like, it wrecks everybody. This is the Satan was to resist everyone is that you are alone in your sin. Your sin is shameful. And okay. to share that with anybody, people are going to be so disappointed. People are going to be so ashamed. You're going to get fired. You're going to lose your job. You're going to lose your family. You're going to lose all these things. So you better just keep that sin to yourself. Yep. Um, <clears throat> and that's a lie. Clearly that's a lie because all through scripture, God talks about like, confess your sins, <laughs> confess your sins. Right. Um, and so actually being in an environment with a group of men that we could share sin with each other and experience mercy and grace, I don't know, just kind of like flip the switch in my brain of like, this is God's desire for me in my relationship with him. It's that like, I don't have to keep trying to clean up my life before I go to God. Like we just have this perception that, oh my gosh, like if I walk into the presence of God and he knows all of the things that I struggle with, if I don't have anything good to show, I'm getting kicked out. (laughs) Like I have to at least show some effort before I go to God. And then he'll say like, okay, well at least, at least you're trying. Um, And that's just, again, that's a lie that when we look at scripture, everything that we see in scripture is that God loved you when you were at your worst. So God knew what he was getting into. It wasn't a surprise where God was like, oh, I saved Rick. And Rick wasn't perfect right away. Again, it goes back to the expectation of the relationship that he's built with us. Right. Is I expect this to be a process where I know you're going to trip. I know you're going to fall. I know you're going to stumble. I know you're going to sin. And I've worked out a way where I can build you up in that process and make you more like me. That's how he built the relationship. Yeah. Um so to walk into that without that expectation is to think that I'm better at building myself up than God. And that's, <laughs> that's also sin, right? It's also a problem. Um, but yeah, I think that's, that for me kind of unlocked this secret knowledge <laughs> of yeah. the church. Really, and it's not secret knowledge. It's what the church is meant to be. Right. This place of broken people where we don't, like, it's not, that, that's my biggest pet peeve with the church is I've, I've stopped even trying to ask people like, especially from the stage when I speak, like, how is everybody doing? Because it's like, who's going to be like, I'm horrible today. <laughs> like, terrible. Today was a horrible, no good, bad day. Like, I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that we can worship together. Um, and I I want, gosh, I. it's been so beneficial for me to have the church be this place where I can be broken yeah. and experience God's grace from others because that reminds me that God is always his desire is to show me more grace than anyone else could ever show me. Um, and when you really understand that and believe that about God, then yeah, like so much of the other false yeah. teaching and all this, all these lies from the enemy that God would be ashamed of me is like, God's not ashamed of me. God loves me. Yeah. And God sees Christ in me. So it's God ashamed of himself. No, like when you start replacing the lie with truth, that's the biggest thing. Um, but yeah, for me in my own life, it was getting a group of people that I could really be vulnerable with 
and give permission into my life to say like, hey, this is like, this is a thing that I wrestle with. Help me with this. And I experience mercy in that process when I expected judgment. Yeah. And again, that goes back to my cool. relationship with God. Yeah, l- let me let me just say to you, thanks for sticking with us all the way through, but also know that in your brokenness, in the in the struggle that you have, in the hurt that you carry, in um, in all the stuff that you want to bury, mm-hmm. um, you're not alone. That's that's the yeah. story of all of us, and that Jesus came to to fix all that mm-hmm. and to and to not make you carry that burden. Um, yeah. He came to uh, relieve it. Um, his burden is light. And so uh, know, n- know how much he loves you. Yeah. Um, any, any last thoughts? Yeah, I think, I think that's, that's a good place to end is, is kind of <laughs> bookending both of these, these last few weeks of like this, this is supposed to happen in the church. Right. So be invested in the church. Like this, this is what life group can look like. Right. Where you can go to your life group and not have to wear the mask of everything's okay, nothing's wrong in my life, everything's totally fine. Like yeah. your life group is meant to be a place where you can go and say like, oh my gosh, I am just my kids are driving me crazy and I'm really wrestling with this, or my finances are struggling, or m- this sin in this area of my life, and that's a place where that's that's where that's supposed to happen yeah. is in relationship with each other and being vulnerable enough to ask for help in that process of not trying to do it alone, not trying to just show the effort so that God loves you, but realizing that God's love is constant. That can be true in your life group where love is constant. That's the driving force behind that. Um, And that happens when you're invested in it. Yep. Um, And it only happens when you're invested in it. Thanks. Thanks so much for watching. And um, we'll look forward to seeing you again next week. Uh, as we just continue through the book of Colossians, just last word again, um, take some time and read through, read through the, the entire book. It's not that long. You can yeah. do it in 15 minutes or so, and that helps give context to everything that we're talking about on Sunday services. So uh, be sure and do that. If this is helpful, be sure and share it, uh, like it, all that good yeah. s- social media stuff. <laughs> thanks. Thanks so much for watching.